Welcome to The Player's Voice, a podcast brought to you by the Gaelic Players Association in collaboration with Real Talks. My name is Alan O'Mara, a former cabin goalkeeper now working as a performance and wellbeing consultant. And this week, I had the pleasure of sitting down with Ashling Maloney. Since breaking on to the inter-county scene in 2017, Ashling has become one of the most feared forwards in Gaelic football. She was a key player on the Tipperary ladies team that won two intermediate All-Ireland titles and was voted Players Player of the Year in 2019. Unfortunately, the 2022 season has played out without Maloney on the field, as the Tipperary ace has battled to overcome an ACL injury and the complications that followed post-surgery. Throughout this conversation, Ashling is open and honest about how the last 13 months have challenged her, mentally and physically, in ways she never imagined. Ashling shares some of the lessons she has learned on the long and winding road to recovery and why she believes she is returning to Gaelic Games as both a better person and athlete. She also discusses how much things have improved for female GA players and the challenges they are still facing. This podcast is brought to you as part of Bio360, a GPA program that empowers inter-county players across four key areas, life skills, well-being, dual career and transitions. Please go to bio360.gaelicplayers.com to learn more. Thanks for listening. Well, first of all, Ashton, thanks so much for joining us on the Players Voice podcast. It's a real pleasure to have you here. And to get us started, I, I suppose we're coming to the tail end of seasons now, the inter-county season's wrapping up. And we've obviously been deprived of your talent and your ability and your effort on the on the pitch this year. What's it been like having to watch on the action and how have the last couple of months been for you? It definitely has been hard. And I feel like with the split season this year, especially in ladies football, I feel like all ladies footballers in general, um, they're kind of getting the great balance between being finished early on and also enjoying a few barbecues coming the end of summer as well. But yeah, look, it's been an awful long road. Um, I tore my cruise ship the 6th of June in 2021 and had my operation on the 21st of July. So normally your ACL, give or take, is normally the nine-month period. But for me, it's going on July. It's just about a year, yeah, a year and a year going on, a year going on about 13 months now. So um, it's been a long one. Okay. So take us back to the start of that. When, when did it happen? Well, like, was it during a game? And kind of what were your memories of, of that incident? Yeah, when you do your ACL, I don't think whoever does their ACL, I don't think they ever forget that moment or forget that day. Um, we were playing Dublin in first round of championship in Semple Stadium and I was just coming out with a ball. One of the players tackled me in whatever way I landed backwards. I went to twist to go around to her and unfortunately um, I had that pain, that, that unmerciful click and knock and I knew straight away that it was my ACL. Um, I suppose I would have toured my MCL before and played on the previous November. It was actually grade two. I ended up being out for five months with it, but I knew this time around it was a different kettle of fish. But um, yeah, that day I'll never forget. Um, bank holiday actually as well. Um, was looking forward actually to going out with the team that night. But yeah, I remember just... It was kind of when it hits you first, you don't really know. You kind of you're thinking ahead. You're kind of telling yourself half hoping that it's not going to be that. But 
well and truly deep down you know it is and thankfully everyone there in the line was so helpful to me and I went directly to um, VHI clinic in Limerick and I had my MRI actually I think it was the next day actually um, so I knew fairly lively within three or four days that I got my results and I kind of knew the pathway I was on then thank God so I think um, I think in that moment in time there's just so many things going through your head for me I had never had an operation before. I actually had heart trouble when I was younger. So when I was sitting on the line, it's so stupid to think. When I was sitting on the line in Semper Stadium, all that was going through my head was almost the fear of if this actually is it, like this is this is what I'm going to have to go through now, which I've never gone through before. And I suppose that was a big worry for my family as well. You know, we all know that as great as what, you know, and advanced as what the medical systems are now, anything can happen. And that was probably number one fear in my head half hoping that it wasn't the ACL, but it actually was. And you said you had done the the MCL previously as well, Ash. Was that in the same knee? Same knee, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, kind of with the MCL though, I would say that I was maybe tackled and landed wrongly on it. But with the with the ACL, I suppose it was just me, myself and I, whatever way I had turned, um, it went. But look, they say they say with the ACL and I went to Ray Moran as well and you know Obviously, it's a big, massive talk now because it's gone so prevalent across all codes. And I suppose in ladies in particular, there's three in my own club team now at the minute who have ACLs. And I was speaking to Ray about it, just trying to figure out, you know, is there anything that I could do going forward? And Ray kind of simply put it to me that, look, with the level of sport that everyone is playing now, we expect to plant our foot here and then all of a second be over there. And he said, our, the message isn't going to our leg quick enough to move. And he said, we're just not made to be turning 360. Once the knee plants and turns, he said, nothing, no matter what you do to prevent it. He said, mm-hmm. it's just the force of that movement. You can't prevent it. So um, now, obviously, you can do a lot of strength work and stuff. You can build up your quads and all that. But um, it's obviously more common with women as well, they say, due to their hip weight. Uh, which definitely I suffer from anyway. <laughs> Extra wide hips and shoulders. It's in the jeans, in the Maloney jeans. So, <laughs> <laughs> and then kind of say you mentioned sitting on the sideline there in Sample Stadium, like in your your head starts your head starts racing, and obviously it sounds like you knew you're you're in a bit of bother and a bit of significant trouble straight away, and then it takes your mind starts racing in different directions. You mentioned the heart stuff there. Like, talk to us a little bit about kind of what's going on in your head at that point, because I feel like anyone who's had a serious injury will relate to it. And then obviously people that have been lucky enough to haven't haven't had a bad injury may experience it at some point. Just kind of what was that initial kind of internal reaction in terms of your own mind to to what had just occurred? It was complete and utter devastation. Um like we we were going so I suppose on the day we were going so well against Dublin another girl actually got injured on the same day as me she'd done a spiral break on her ankle so we were actually drawn coming into half time and for me I suppose I was kind of looking onto the team being like God if only but I suppose you can't think if only but for me it was a devastation because I know girls have gone through it and I know also the complications that can come with it you know it isn't a plain sailing journey and I suppose then in my own head, I was kind of counting the months, being like, okay, so if it's nine months, it's going back for April next year, back for championship. So you're kind of constantly trying to reassure yourself of the unknown, even though you haven't even, you don't even know if it is the ACL or not. But it's a lot of things. Even for me, I suppose that they, I hadn't been enjoying football with two years, I'd say. And 
do you know, it's hard to put a finger on it when you're so indulging it, you're kind of probably blame other, blaming other things that are going on in your life. Do you know, at college, I had failed year in college. I was kind of blaming that. Was it that, do you know, that I'm just lethargic from going up and down the road from Dublin? Um, so it was all, it did, that was also going through my head. It was sitting there on the, on the actual physio bed watching the girls play and it's kind of like, is this happening for a reason? You're just, you're just trying to come to some sort of clarity as to why it has landed at your door. Mm-hmm. Um, I suppose, look, there's worse things that can land at doors as well. But I suppose for me, why I kind of probably took it so bad is because of the fear of the operation and the fear of me having heart trouble when I was younger. And it was kind of a scary path for me to take. Um, I even spent the the six weeks before the operation, I I don't think I was in the house for them six weeks. I was away. I was sitting on mountains on my own, trying to psych myself up for to know what could be. And I'll never forget it. I remember. I remember even the week before I wasn't in the house at all. I'd I'd literally get up in the morning. I'd have breakfast and I'd leave. And I'd come back at night. I used to tell mom and dad I was off for the day, but I was actually off trying to keep my head occupied. But the morning of the operation, mom and dad came up with me. We had to leave at five o'clock in the morning from tip and we were going up the road and I was acting the big woman going up in the car, you know, um, <laughs> completely. I, I knew that one of them was going to say it. They were going to mention about the whole heart scenario that I had when I was younger. And I was going up in the car and I went, going great, coming up to Sanctuary, you know, cold sweats are coming out through me. It was like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm actually doing this. And it was COVID as well, so I had to do it on my own. So I'm a very bad hospital person. So even when I was younger, you know, even till now, I have to get dad to hold my hand when I'm getting a needle. Um, but I remember just I stepped outside the car and mom says, you know now, you have to tell him about what happened years ago. And I just went, fuck, she's completely thrown me here now. I remember going in then, I just don't, I don't remember that morning um, because of the, just the fear of was I even going to come out of the operation? I suppose it's crazy. It's just, I was probably thinking so dramatically, but at the time, literally in my head was the fear of, do you know, will I come out the other end of this? I've never had an operation before and all that crack. So I did, anyway, <laughs> I'm alive. Yeah, and if like if you're comfortable sharing, Ashton, what had happened to you when you were younger in terms of the heart and like what was causing that fear in terms of how is it relating to this situation or this surgery? I was 13 years of age and I was sitting, I was doing um, my schoolwork actually, we were doing a project and I was just sitting on my computer blowing the sit room. It was a sunny day, I'll never forget it. Um, and my heart just started racing out of nowhere. Um, it felt like it was in my throat and it was palpitating. Like, you know, it was just as if I was, it, my breathing rate was normal, but my heart was just going absolutely mental. And I got such a fright, I ran outside to the yard and I started screaming to mum and dad, my heart, my heart, my heart. And... I completely then, well, I ended up then going to hospital. I think I was in hospital for a week. I ended up going to Crumlin for heart tests. Um, but it would continuously keep happening throughout the year. Um, you know, I'd be in school and it would just take off. Even I had it recently, about four years ago, it happened in a match. I took the first sprint and I looked at dad and I just said, I was pointing to the line being like the heart, the heart. And they said that they'd have to put a heart monitor on me 24-7 to catch it. And I suppose they never caught it, but... They were just putting it down to palpitations. Um, then they were kind of making out, was it caffeine-like? Was there something, I had coke that day, was it due to that? And that year that that happened then, I became very, I said to myself, I was afraid to go sleep at night. I 
I was afraid to leave mum or dad's side. I wouldn't go and sleep over with my friends. I was actually scared for when I'd come to TY, I don't have to go away on my own if this happened on my own. So I stayed by mum and dad's side. It was still a case where I actually wouldn't even go upstairs on my own because I was afraid in case this happened to me again. And it did happen throughout the course here when I was in school. And it would happen now sometimes, but I'd, just, I'd start coughing or something and I'd get rid of it. Um, but nothing substantial was found. Um, but yeah, it did actually impact me a lot at that age. I ended up playing in goal actually for a year with football. I was afraid to go back to sport. Um, there was actually genuinely nothing substantial. It was just, they actually couldn't find anything. But when it happened four years ago, I remember we were playing Cork Minor Camogie team in a challenge. It was, we were in the all Ireland final with Kerry that year, my own club, Intermediate. And the first sprint I took, off it took, boom, and off up here in my throat. And I just looked at dad, as I said there a minute ago, and I went and got a look and they said, look, we're just going to have to put a heart monitor on you 24-7. And I said, geez, that would look good <laughs> out on the pitch and just strings <laughs> strings hanging everywhere from me. But thankfully, since that, I haven't had it really. Um, so I suppose there's just um, there's just that fear, I suppose, when you're going under anaesthetic to know what's the outcome. But look, I... I remember I was over in Sanchez that morning they were trying to figure out as to what actually happened. I genuinely didn't know because I never actually asked mum what happened to me. I was too afraid to know. And the first time we had a conversation about it was the morning of the surgery. Just as I was going in, I was like, but what was, I was going, but what was that? I don't know what it was. And I'd never wanted to know because I was just so scared by it. And it, it impacted me so much as a child. Um, so that's hence why I hate hospitals. So yeah, I suppose I was in there then waiting for my surgery and sure, my stockings were in the bin. I couldn't find my stockings anywhere at next scene. <laughs> I looked in the bin and here my stockings were and my head had just gone completely like doolally. I just wasn't even thinking cold sweats coming out through me and then they were asking me what happened to me in my heart and I didn't know but look, um, thankfully they gave me a bit of a sedation thing beforehand and sure I was I was so sedated at that stage I didn't really care what happened. <laughs> I was trying to keep myself away but thankfully I came out the other end of it anyway. Yeah, I think and I appreciate like I really appreciate your honesty there, Ashlyn, in terms of reflecting on being scared like that as a young as a young person, but then also acknowledging that, you know, that still can linger around or that it's still there, that when something happens as an adult, that that can trigger that back or take you back there. And I think the other thing to say is that like I feel like we'll be like, oh, this person got this injury. Yeah, they've got to go get surgery and they'll be back in three months and we're almost or six months and we're almost kind of transactional about it, or just like presuming that everything's gonna be okay. And I think I think the vulnerability you showed there is important from as sports people still having to go into surgery and get sedated and lie down and be cut open. There's still vulnerabilities there and fear there, I'm sure. And it sounds like as as easy it would be to sit down and have a conversation like this and say, oh, yeah, I went into the surgery and sure, it was all not a bother. Like you said, you were playing the big woman in the car on the way up. I think it's important to acknowledge that there is also fears and insecurities and vulnerable vulnerabilities there going in to get a procedure like that. Would, that, would you agree with that? Yeah, I think it's mad. When I when you look at the match on Sunday and obviously David Clifford and Shane Walsh had an absolute stormer, but I think um, people get a bit carried away that actually, you know, they have a family that they're sitting with today. You know, they have friends, they have cousins, they have relations, you know. We're all living on this planet, we're all humans. And I think <laughs> I think it would be it would be lying for me to say that I wasn't absolutely terrified going up in that car that morning not even as a child, but actually terrified that I wasn't going to come out the other end. I suppose there was a local lad here, Tomás Kelly, um, who went for a simple surgery and unfortunately he ended up being paralysed from his hips down and that happened about three years ago now. Thankfully, Tomás is doing great. Um, he's bound to a wheelchair, but he's driving his own car. 
his parents have been absolutely amazing to him as have his siblings but I suppose that was really kind of running in my head going up in the car do you know I know you can't think of stuff like that but I suppose if I hadn't had the heart issue I wouldn't have been probably as conscious but when I had this in my head do you know oftentimes there my heart might be tripping and racing and I even said to mum about two weeks so I must get it checked again you know it's it's a, it's something that is is on my mind probably like once a week do you know something might happen at the moment I think it's skipping a beat but <laughs> I'll leave the medical team find out what exactly is going on but it's probably just a health concern more than anything like do you know and my fear of hospitals in general hospitals to me are just scary places I know they do a lot of good but for me personally they're I'm not a fan I'd avoid them at all costs in some ways the national I know like so you when you had that the heart situation when you were younger and you get checkups and you get tests. And obviously in some ways it must be a relief when someone says, oh, it's not a serious issue or there's nothing major at play or we can't detect anything. But also on the opposite side of that is also, is there is there a fear of the unknown that still lingers around there because you don't necessarily have an answer to, at the end of the day, you're the one that feels your heart rise from your chest to almost your throat. You feel that sensation. Like in some ways is that, do you know what I'm trying to say? Is it like the opposite? Like does it nearly make it worse in some ways? Like the more you're thinking about it. Just the fact that like, it's kind of still, even though they're kind of telling you that like, yeah, there's nothing major at play there, but like also there's an unknown that you're not fully sure and it can happen at kind of any stage. Yeah, I actually, I seen, this is so stupid, but I seen this thing, I was on a CPR course when I was younger and I seen this thing actually, um, I don't know if it's a myth now, but it actually works for me. I don't know if it's a myth, but when I feel my heart palpitating, I start coughing and it gets rid of it. Um but I remember after it happened, me like I don't know if everyone can feel this, but and when I when I was lying in bed, I could feel my heart pounding in my chest so vividly. After like for, I was something I had to get used to because before that I couldn't feel my heart, whereas now like I can feel it religiously. Actually, we were at a sauna last night down in Plan A Hot Pods. It was called. It was actually great. It was, well for you. But my club team, yeah. So we went from the pods <laughs> to the the pods to the sea, but. One of the girls, we were talking about our hearts and one of the girls, I was like, can you, I was like in the sauna, like my heart's pounding, I can feel it. And I was like, is yours not? And she's like, I can't feel mine. And I was, then in my head, I said nothing, but I was like, maybe it's still me that I can feel it. But it actually goes to the extent when even when I'm on a night out, I will never, ever take drink off someone because I'm afraid of Red Bull, caffeine. I give up fizzy drinks for, I'd say... Seven years, eight years, I didn't drink one fizzy drink. I've no feelings, so I'm putting it down to that. But my fear of drinking even a club orange, because I was blaming Coke then as a kid, as 13 years of age, I was blaming Coke. I thought that this was it because it happened me again after I was at my friend's house, I drank Coke. And even to this day on nights out, I will never, ever take, even if it's a bulmers from someone, I won't because I'm afraid of that happening and... Even we won the All Ireland actually with Tip, and we were out. and Ash McCarthy thought that she was great, handed me a Red Bull. I went home that night and I was like, Ashing, what was it that you gave me? Because I was trying to figure it out. And she was saying, Oh, nothing like it was only whatever. And I was like, Ashing, come on. She was like, Yeah, it was Red Bull. Well, I spent the whole night and the heart was just booming out to my chest. But it definitely has had an effect on my adult life. There's definitely like, Time's there when I'm in a crowd and it's happening and I'm too afraid to say it, you know. I'm just scared to fall down in front of someone or like say that this is happening. I kind of just start coughing and kind of keep myself occupied till it goes away. But I haven't had a heart attack yet anyway, so I'd say, I'd say I'm probably over the, the worst. Like, 
because obviously that the heart is, is such a scary thing when you feel it in any way. It's like you kind of almost want to never feel it, just let it do its thing or just know that it's working there, you know. I and mean, going back to Ash and say the, the day you go to get surgery, so like usually say you're going to get an athlete and they're kind of thinking, oh, I'll get through the surgery, hopefully it goes well, I'll be back playing in X amount of time, say whatever it is, six months or if it's four weeks. But like genuinely, well, that fear or that questions around your mind on that day, like you're genuinely have a fear there about like, just waking up from the surgery or the mortality situation. Have I picked that up right? Yeah, like I just, I was told once by a nurse I need to get hypnotised because anytime I'd set foot near a hospital, I'd faint. Um, <laughs> anything, like my aunt was actually very sick. She passed away. I should have been my godmother like, but she was always, you know, I would have I would have been a very shy child when I was younger, but she would have been literally my best friend like, you know, I used to be sleeping in the bed with her. But anyway, she passed away there. Actually, this time last year, it was the same week as surgery. She was sick for a few years, but um, I remember when she first, she went for a knee operation herself, but she was old obviously and she was actually told not to go for it because there is heart trouble in our family. Anyway, she ended up being on life support and I remember mum and dad kind of, begging me being like you know you should go in to see her but I was probably too young at the time to realise that you know this could be the end but it was and she ended up living for five years I went in anyway into intensive care was sitting there like needles were flying people were dying I was like oh my god if I get through this now I get through anything and next thing out comes a needle and boom I just heard the the needle the I just heard the ringing in my ears and fainted so I don't know I just have a really bad experience with hospitals it's a big massive fear and even when I got my results at the of Dr Jordan in Limerick all I was thinking was just like please know like that I don't have to go through this just for operation sake um, I think that's what kept me grounded with the ACL as well though was that when I came out the other end I was so happy I woke up not delighted to have my ACL done I was like oh my god thank god I came out the other end of that, but mum was crying, I suppose, leaving me that day because sure, it's a fear for any parent, really, like for any person having an operation. Um, but I think she also low-key won't admit, or, well, I haven't, we don't discuss it. But I'm sure if I had a conversation with her, she would say that probably the fear of, you know, me going into that and what had happened when I was younger and all that crack. So... She also set me off crying then. I was like, oh my God, spent six weeks here psyching me up for nothing <laughs> after knocking me off the, the lift straight away. So you, you said you're waking up and you you get you ultimately you get out of the hospital then. What are the, from your perspective in terms of the, reco- the, the journey of recovery and what was the following kind of days and weeks like? What's your memories of that window? Um, the first week was obviously horrendous in terms of pain. Um, Just through the knee? Yeah, one of my teammates went through it, Anna Rose Kennedy, and she hadn't me she didn't have me warned for that and I gave out to her about it. I was like, I'd prefer to know. But I remember being up at five o'clock every morning, um, and just very, very tender, very, very sore and a lot of pain. And actually the following week I, I thought it was infected. I felt really unwell and I actually remember it was a day it was a day before my aunt my aunt passed away, but it was a day before her, her funeral. I remember being like, I can't tell anyone because I want to go to it so bad, but I felt so ill. So I ended up bringing sanitary. I was actually in that much pain with it. Um, but yeah, it actually, after the two weeks, it's actually one of my friends got it done, it done there like two weeks ago and she said she was on paracetamol on day two. Here was me ringing sanitary for a second prescription after a week. But I think I just realised and I'd been so well prepared in my head that you can't, you can't compare yourself to anyone that gets an ACL done because... Every single person's recovery is so different. And I'd say for Ray Morn and them, it's so confusing because 
bodies just heal differently. Um, I was flying then after a week. I was up walking and one of my friends called down to see me actually from college and we were gone to local town. I probably wasn't feeling up to it, but just said I would. And anyway, where we were supposed to go was closed and I was on my phone and she had hit me because there was a step coming up. I sure I just thought, oh, whatever. I landed on the step with my operated leg and I twisted it and went to fall. I didn't know what way to hold myself. So I twisted and went to fall and luckily she was strong. She just threw me back up again. It was Rachel Kearns actually. She plays for Mayo. And I heard, I felt this sharp pain and from that onwards then it just wasn't right, even in rehab or anything. I went on to do two weeks of rehab in September, got to operation in July and September, did two weeks of rehab and crying in the gym. And I suppose people were telling me that this is normal. You've obviously just got patellar tendon reconstruction. You know, we've off shaken a tendon from the front of your knee. Um, anyway, then I went on then to November, I got an MRI and there was a clean tear down, straight down. So I'd torn the stitches that time I had twisted it. So yeah, I ended up getting a PRP injection then on the 15th of December into my knee. So yeah. they take the protein from your blood. Wow. So that's, it's, it's funny, like the couple of things you say there, like obviously you can't compare yourself to anyone else's recovery, but then also if just as an individual, different things can happen. As you said, you're just out for a walk, walking down the street. Um, and it's very hard to, it's very hard to like wrap yourself in cotton wool for like a month because the like as well as the physical recovery, your mental needs also kick in and you want to get out or get a bit of fresh air. Or you want to see someone, you want to have a laugh and trying to balance that. So then what was it like then for you in terms of so like that, obviously that pain in the gym and you're obviously at that point, you're like, listen, I know something's not right here. So what was it like then to hear that you had to go in and get another thing done? Was it just a, was, was, you said it was an injection, is it? So what was your kind of, what was that window around that like? Yeah, um, I kind of had myself convinced then that I was maybe going a bit insane. That was it. Because I actually, sorry, I had got an MRI initially when I twisted it and it was a bruised bone. But a straight leg raise for any people who do their ACL, it's simple. You just straighten out your leg and you lift it up. And I couldn't even straighten out my leg. I kept jumping my pain. So we were kind of making out like, was it meniscus? Um, but anyways, it ended up being a bruised bone. So it kept going on anyway. And it was to the stage where... I couldn't even go from clutch to accelerator. If I was in bed, I couldn't pull my leg up towards me. Um, like even simple things like putting on my pants, um, sitting on a toilet was extremely difficult. Sitting on a couch, even walking on a street, Joanie go up on the curb, couldn't go up on the curb, couldn't walk up the stairs or down the stairs, was walking sideways. And kind of, it was going on for so long, I had myself convinced that I'm going to be crazy. Like this pain is obviously in my head, but... I remember I had booked Dubai originally um, to go away for a month, actually. My friend lives over there. So I was like, this is great. You know, winter is coming in Ireland. Go away for four weeks, rehab. I'm coming back for my second test. And this was all pre-planned in my head. But over in Dubai, I couldn't do anything. I came home, got an MRI and that pair was there. And to be honest, I I was counting myself lucky because I was kind of fully convinced that I would have to get a second operation because I just thought there was something seriously wrong so thankfully it was only a PRP injection but not only was it a PRP injection it was also an ejection which I'm f scared of <laughs> into my knee with no anaesthetic so um, I remember at the time though I was in so much pain I didn't care um, I didn't care what they did or injections weren't even in my head that day the fear was just gone completely out the window and I remember that day it's only like a five minute procedure they take your bloods um then they come in and under ultrasound they inject it in so they can show you the tear and I remember getting up off the 
of the bed that day and literally five minutes later I was like whoa I feel fixed I was extremely dizzy now not going to lie I remember going to dad and I can't even I don't even remember paying going out to dad but we went to Blanchard Sound then for something to eat me and dad and I remember them elevator steps are there and this was a test because it's what August, September, October, November it's about five months into my ACL now and I can't walk up or down the stairs and next thing I said nothing to him and I looked back and I smiled and next thing here I went looking at the stairs and one foot just went after the other and I was like, whoa, that's a milestone. And that was the first time I could walk up and down the stairs. And was that like one of the first kind of mini, if it was a fist pump or mini, like kind of a, a victory on the kind of recovery process that you got to like feel, okay, I am on the right path again. Was that one of the first times that kind of presented itself to you? Oh, it was humongous. It was so big. Um, Even through meeting Ray and stuff like, you know, he's such a lovely man. I built such a little rapport with him, but... I always would have been jolly going in the door to him, you know. But I remember that day he came in, he looked at me and said, you're awful down yourself. And I said, Ray, I'm actually sick of this now. Um, I said, I just can't. I'm in so much pain every day. And I said, look, Ray, I was like, I know you're sports oriented here, but I was like, I actually do not care if I ever got back playing sport again. I was like, just please, please, please get this pain out of my knee. And then sport was so far away in the horizon because I actually didn't care. Because at the minute, my family were home for Christmas, my uncle was home for Christmas, and I couldn't even walk up a hill. I couldn't go for a walk. The first time I walked more than a kilometre was in January because my knee was just swell up. Um, So it was affecting my daily life. And I suppose long term, I was like, oh, my God, you know, I didn't think it would be so unsuccessful as as the fire is what it is now. So sport was completely out of my brain. And then I suppose you're meeting people on the street and... Do you know what they're saying? Oh, like, when are you back? And I'm kind of getting ticked then in my own head, being like, would you ever... I'm not even walking properly yet. And people mean them well, but obviously I'm having my own battle in my own head. Um, Kind of being a bit of a moody little... <laughs> a little wagon going around the place. But, yeah, that was kind of the lead into that then, of where I kind of started then. You mentioned, Ashton, there, like, that battle in your own head. And I, I think it's really important to acknowledge that in terms of when there's serious injuries or serious health issues that happen with people like you're you're someone who basically you know people look at and like you're young athletic you're fit and kind of people will like will presume you're like resilient and strong and all those kind of words that go with it but like ultimately then what you're dealing with is like you were dealing with chronic pain um and were, were you su- were you surprised or were you taken aback by how like that chronic pain then like impacted your mindset and your mood and that relationship between kind of mind and body? Did that was that like a new layer or a new level of understanding of yourself that you hadn't had before? Yeah, because to be honest, I've never broken a bone. Um, I've torn my hamstring grade three, which was sore. Like it was it was OK. Like I kind of knew during the match it was torn, but I stupidly kept playing. And in the end, I couldn't even sit in the car. It was purple. You could see the blood coming out through it. Other than that, then I've tore my MCLs twice, which weren't that bad. But the ACL pain, yeah, I was there for half an hour, but it was gone. Um, the operation was, you know, obvious because it's an operation. But I suppose this was I was recovered now and I actually was in that form of being in such bad pain that it was put me in really bad form. I was really irritable going around. And um, I suppose then I was like, I was like running away from it then. I was just like, oh, do you know, it's grand. Don't care about sport. Don't care about football. Do you know, just get back. Even helping dad. We own a farm here. I couldn't even help dad and stuff. So I think when you're in that pain or when anyone's in pain, um, you just don't think of anything else or you, nor do you care like you couldn't care less getting back running around the pitch again because 
it was affecting daily things for me. Um, even driving, even as simple as driving a car, like which I'm known to spend my life in the car at home here, driving around. So yeah, a hundred percent. You just when you're in any pain, be it anything or any illness, any serious illness, things in life just become so so small and so irrelevant. Like obviously I'm privileged and honoured that I have the opportunity to get up in the morning and walk even. Um, but I suppose everyone has their own small problems that bothers them. And for me, the pain of the knee was probably annoying me. And like obviously around that time, Ashton, you you mentioned Ray and he, obviously he's the surgeon that you check in with. You're I'm sure you're with a physio or like a strength and conditioning person trying to rebuild it. Did you consider or did you like use anyone in terms of mental recovery and processing this on the mental side? No, I actually didn't, to be honest. Um, and personally, I felt strong enough to get through it myself. I suppose all that side to me, I knew would be a big, massive topic. Um, I'd just be very passionate about them things. But I suppose it's weird, actually, because when I did it and when I got the operation, right then I admitted my to myself that this isn't going to be a straight road. Because I think once you admitted that it's not going to be a straight road, well, then... Anything that comes, you're not caught by surprise or you're not putting yourself on this time limit that's going to be nine months. I was actually saying 11 months myself because there's no point putting a time limit on it nine months. But if you're not hitting your goals and your tests, well, then you're not going to be going back returning to sport. But I didn't ha- I didn't admit to myself that I'd done my ACL at this point, but I'd admitted to myself there was going to be a long road. So I think it was October that I actually then admitted to myself when I timed myself, I suppose, when everything calmed down, when club championship was finished, when I was on my own more... I was like, God, I'm actually after doing the ACL. And I was like, that's the first time I actually had a conversation with myself about it, being like, you have to admit this and just move on with it. So at that stage then, Peter Creedon, the current Tipperary manager, he was kind of trying to persuade me to get in touch with the performance coach. But um, no, I I didn't. I didn't need it at that point. Um, now, when I did, I did need it as the recovery went on further, I suppose when things weren't going right for me and I suppose... I went back in January and I was told I'd be running in around 11 weeks. How long is a piece of string? Me and T now, the physio and sanitary, we joke about it. You know, I'm like, I don't want to run and run, but like what weeks around? He's like, Ashing. I was like, I know, I just want the in and around. <laughs> so when I went back in January, I was told in and around 11 weeks, like give or take, okay, raise, or okay, T, that's like, we'll say four months old. But I actually only started jogging there five weeks ago. So when it wasn't progressing, then I said, okay, I actually do need to speak to someone now because um, I suppose it's stupid to think. I kind of would have, I kind of would be there for a lot of people in terms of talking about things. So I know I'm kind of a natural observer with that. People kind of tend to come to me. Um, but I think we need to realise ourselves also that when I rang the performance Coach, she even said to me, you're your own psychologist. I can hear you talking and the way you're criticising yourself and the way you're affecting things. She said, you've all the skills for it. Um, but she said it also is good to to talk about, you know, the recovery. And I suppose what was bothering me so much was it was taking so long. Like, And to me, I was like, OK, I'm actually getting so many knocks. And I was like, I've put life into perspective like I am. Do you know, there's people sick, you know, close relatives belong to me or... And they have serious illnesses. So you always have to put life in perspective. But I think what the basis was is that I actually hadn't exercised since July. I was trying to swim, but that wasn't giving me the effect. And I just wanted to sweat. And I was just dying for this feeling of just 
running, running everything out of my body. And once I'd done it once, I knew then I'd been, I would have been fine. But that would probably be the, the timeline on the mental side. I would have, I didn't find it. To be honest, I actually didn't find, if an ACL was nine months, I wouldn't find it too bad, to be honest. I think there, for me personally, anyway, I think there's a lot of scary when someone does their ACL, it's straight away negative vibes where actually it should be turned into a bit of a positive that you get time to self-reflect, you get, I had time to travel, you know, you get time to do other things. I don't know what I'm going to do when my Saturday and Sunday mornings are gone. I can't go meet friends, like, you know? So you kind of, you kind of realise then that actually outside football, life kind of does move on and it's a good wake-up call, you know? And I suppose I was probably hating football for them two years and I think now, I didn't think I'd get it back, actually. I was hating it so much. And as the months were going by, I was killing myself that I wasn't getting the Crawford again. But now in the last two or three months, I can really feel myself back and back to myself again and wanting to play. Yeah, so like while in some ways, obviously, and as we've been talking about for, for the last half an hour or so, like it's been an incredibly challenging time. It's it's really tested your resilience. It's made you overcome a huge amount of stuff. But in some ways, it's also, it sounds like it's given you also a sense of perspective on the bigger picture and maybe recentered you a little bit in terms of kind of what sport does mean to you, but also then value and appreciate and giving time to the other things in your life. Have I kind of heard that correct, what you were just talking about there? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I think since I was younger, I was very like, I wouldn't say dedicated, but I just took sport personally very seriously myself. Um I wouldn't even say seriously, I was just very competitive. And I suppose coming from tip, especially in football terms, especially in ladies, um, you know, when you're a part of a team that isn't that successful and when you start seeing strides being made in the last few years, you begin to crave that and you begin you begin to kind of buzz off that feeling. Um and then I suppose in in recent years we'd lost a lot of players like in the last few years with girls going to Australia and people retiring and people not being able to commit. Then it just felt like we were going nowhere. And I suppose then myself, I was kind of getting a bit like Jeekers looking back on my years playing, love the opportunities. It's been amazing. Like opportunities have opened up for me and was kind of the attitude being like, God, but I haven't set foot in a plane. Like I don't, I have been to Thailand with the ladies authors, which was great. I've been to Germany and England a few times, but for me, traveling is a massive part of me. There's something that I want to do. And I just look back, probably regretting opportunities within the season where I didn't do things so even so, something as simple as a party might be on a Saturday night I'm training Sunday morning and I'm just like nah not arsed instead of just going to the party now and having that social side as well as getting up for training the next morning you know or even missing out on festivals like we can go to festivals and not have to go crazy you can go and enjoy them too um, so that's definitely something that going back next year I'll definitely change in my ways just the kind of Make sure I'm getting that balance between the two. No, it's brilliant. Um, so I'll just kind of think of two two last questions on kind of that last block and then we'll pivot off into kind of the wider picture of, of sport in your life and with Tipperary. But I know I had read an interview previously when you had said there was a day when you you, you mentioned Peter earlier that you'd spoken to Peter and kind of I think it was around the time you found out about needing the injection again and it kind of it just hit you and you kind of broke down. Was that like, was that one of those moments where, because it's basically in my head, I'm looping back to, you were talking about acceptance earlier of just accepting that I need, like, so this is wrong and this has happened to me. I need to accept it and kind of just come through it. What, 
what were what was your feelings on that day? You haven't spoke to Peter when obviously he'd come in as a new manager. You're te- you're like the star player. He's mad for you to get back. I'm sure you have those mixed feelings then as well of wanting to be back or being asked to be back. What was happening in your mind on that day? Um, I suppose what actually happened, I was coming down in the car and just was convulsively, whatever the word is, like I was just crying and I couldn't stop myself from crying. I didn't, even, I didn't even know what it was. I was like, is it the knee? Like, is it? What is it? And I came in the door with my dad and I, just, I was just crying like, and I suppose they were concerned as to what it was. And I was like, I don't know, like, I think it's pressure now that I'm not coming near to be playing and like, is there pressure going to be on me to be playing and I'm going to be pushing myself to get back when I'm not going to be back and... I was just so confused as to like, I was like, okay, I've I've taken a hit now twice and I'm like, God, I'm five months in now and I'm not even near anything. Um, but I think that day was just probably the first, that was the first time I cried since I did my um, ACL. On the day of my ACL, I didn't even cry. <laughs> but it was kind of like, because I wasn't shocked and it was kind of like, okay, this is time and happened for a reason. This is time now that you are giving out about not enjoying it last year is maybe this is a sign to just stop. So then when that came with the injection, mum and dad, I just had a chat with mum and dad and I was like, look, I just need to tell him that I just can't commit for now and whenever I'm ready, both physically and mentally, that I will. And if it's going well, I will put myself back in the mix again if that's okay with him. So they were like, look, as fresh as what it is in your mind right now, just go in and meet him straight away. So I was going in the car literally, windows open, trying to get rid of the the wrinkle marks from crying but Peter was amazing um, you know he was, he's been so good to me throughout it and he said look he said football is football and a person is a person and I just said look I just can't commit to right now I was like I'm not even jogging yet I'm so far ahead and I suppose when you put yourself back into that environment people are naturally going to be asking how you're doing and I just want to be on my own I just want to avoid all of that and I just want to be in my own shell so I also asked him, is it OK if I leave the WhatsApp groups? Because I also felt like that was subconsciously affecting me. Just like messages going in, I was kind of getting annoyed being like, oh, here, like, you know, people are doing the gym. And I that was probably the when I left with WhatsApp group, I actually straight away I was like, God, I see now what people talk about when, you know, they, they stop playing football, how hard it is. And that kind of shocked me a bit, but at the same time, it was a weight lift off my shoulders because I felt like I was free now of having to answer to anyone, and I could just go off my own, my own kind of schedule with tea. And I knew I was in good hands with Santry as well, and my physio back home, Ronan. So you know, I knew that whatever was going on would be solved eventually, but it just needed time. Yeah, so that conversation in some ways kind of liberated you from like the pressure and expectation of others, but also to respect yourself and your needs at that time and just to go on the journey that you needed to to go on. Is that right? Yeah, I probably learned to say no. That was probably a massive thing. And for me, down to the years, I can't say no. I remember even when I done my MCL, the physio was, I actually went to take it free and I couldn't take it. I actually couldn't even balance on that side and I gave it to Ash, Ma- Ash McGarty. I, you'll see it on the video, actually. I just start running back the field, trying to get rid of it, running off. And the physio was like, you have to come off. I was like, no, no, no. And we forgot about it. We ended up losing that um, game by a point with a bit of a controversial free at the end, but we won't talk about that. But yeah, I just think during this ACL process, I have learned to say no and... Even thinking back on the years, like I've probably trained at times I shouldn't have been training, like with torn grinds, torn hamstrings, like just madness off. And I don't know, as you get older as well, you kind of, the body starts to get 
a bit more tired and sore after trainings than what I would have when you're 19, 20. So um, after that, I was kind of like, I was kind of expecting a different reaction from Peter as well. Do you know, I was kind of like, Jesus, that was actually grand. Do you know, why was I building that so much up so much in my head? But it was actually fine. And then I suppose after 11 weeks when I wasn't back running since January, that's when I was like, okay, I actually was away in Greece on holidays and it was probably the first week I didn't do the gym and I came home and I just felt lost. I just felt like I had no control over anything at that stage, not only my knee, but just life in general. So that at that stage, then I got in touch with the performance coach and I literally just spoke. To, she, I don't think she even spoke much. I just kind of reflected myself and she was like, yeah. Probably my fear then was like, um, you know, it was, I wanted to go training because I wanted to see was I liking it again. It was kind of trying to figure out like, it, is it something am I still burnt out I needed someone to tell me I was burnt out I was saying this in my head am I burnt out but I need her to say you are burnt out then I can move on and that's what she said to me and then she was just persuading me to go into training you know feel the environment come back out again so that's what I did and the first time I went training I was so nervous and I was like oh my god I've been doing this since I'm like 15 and I'm so nervous and I went in and oh my god shake my boots cold sweats but the minute I came out I was actually drained from it because I was put up so much energy into that night and all day. And I came out and I was like, God, that was actually so grand. Like, just built up my head for no reason whatsoever. And then club started back recently and I absolutely love club. I absolutely love it. I love just the girls. I love the crack. And it's just all great vibes as what tip would be as well, I suppose. Not so much on the more serious side. And yeah, in the last like month or two, I've been absolutely buzzing and... I'm back jogging now at five weeks, so it's starting to go in somewhat of a good direction a year later. No, I, I'm obviously glad to hear because it really has been, you know, a, a long and winding journey as you've kind of alluded to and what we've talked about there. And then I suppose the kind of capping that whole journey off like with, with the positives is to go back to that session just to, to get jogging again. And you said you've been jogging five weeks now? Five weeks now, I think, yeah. So that's obviously, listen, like a year ago, two years ago, you might take going for a jog for granted, but talk to us about kind of like the, the mental and physical benefits of being back doing that stuff, being able to exercise on, on the individual level. And then maybe talk to us a little bit about the social level and the group aspect of being back amongst the group. And you said vibes there and being able to energize, I'm sure, have the crack and bounce off other people. Talk to me about the kind of both of those strands of kind of coming out the other side of it. Yeah, it's a great feeling. Um, I suppose in Santry as well, they do all the ISO testing as well. So with every time I've gone up, T has been testing my quad strength and my hamstring strength. And my hamstring strength has never changed, which is mad. But my quad strength was like 90% difference between my left and my right. And now we got it down to 11%. And now tomorrow I'm actually up. So they want it the same. So these are kind of targets that helped me along the way as well. But I suppose when I got it to 11% about five weeks ago, straight away I was like jogging. I was like, yes, this is the time now. And he was like, no, 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 no. Because I suppose I hadn't been doing plyos and jumping. He wanted to do that first, whatever. But I remember my first um, my first running session, I actually went down to the main pitching gear because I absolutely love it. I actually got a key to get in there. But the sweat, I remember just the sweat dripping off my face and it was. I felt like I was at the sea, like it was so salty. And I was like, oh my God, it feels so good. I was red. And in my head... It was kind of, it wasn't as easy just to jog. Like, obviously, it's a bit sore for the first jog and you're not completely, you're kind of limping, you're trying to correct your technique. So it wasn't all plain sailing, but at least I was moving anyway. Um, but I just remembered the feeling after I actually picture my phone, I sent it into our club group chat 
And it was just a feeling of relief that I felt like all the anger and all like the frustration and like stuff that I probably didn't acknowledge myself to myself throughout the year had just all gotten out in that one that one running session. And I actually remember um the SNC in Santry, him and T were together and Tommy and I was like buzzing for the cardio. He's like, It's not cardio now, it's technique. Well, I went up to him then two weeks later. I was like, Tommy, you told me that wasn't cardio. It was so hard. I was huffing and puffing. My head, I actually went in a, an exercise rush, I think. My head was red and I couldn't get over it. It was, they were very hard. They were temper ones and they were very hard. So I was joking with him, but I was delighted then that they were, I think slightly, I probably would have went off and done an extra few myself because I just wanted that feeling of of um, just sweating and exercise. And I just felt like, you know, feel the blood pumping around my body again. But then with the mixture of the girls then as well, I suppose going in football training, like, I absolutely adore every single one of them and they're just so good to me. They've never put pressure under me and I suppose we'll be quite successful here as well. We would have won the last, I think, three out of four or three out of five county finals, but it's always crack. It's always like out after every game, football kind of comes second and crack comes first and they've just made the journey so much easier, I suppose, and better towards the end um, because I suppose maybe if I was in the environment with Tip, it might be a bit serious for me. And the level of where I'm at now in terms of trying to come back from being sick of football. So they're just fitting the bill perfectly. And as of last night, we were down sitting in saunas and going into going into the sea. So <laughs> can't really complain about that. Yeah, it sounds like it's just giving you that kind of extra bit of space to kind of breathe and to enjoy it and kind of come back in at your own pace and build yourself back up at a rate and at a pace that you're, I suppose you're comfortable with. But also it does sound like you're, you're kind of somewhat appreciating the grind of it also a little bit again, are you? I 100% do and it's even funny because I was doing runs yesterday and you know they're obviously really hard because he's up them now again for the last two weeks you could say like the distance and I remember before you've kind of like coming to line you're like oh do you know mentally you're struggling getting to the line but in your body you're like I have to get over the line and I remember Samantha Lambert used to be warned was I'll always finish line but it's just every person has it when you're approaching line you're 10 yards out and you're caving towards the end you have that kind of feeling you kind of sew up a bit because you are making it in 20 seconds but now every time I run like I'm it's mad I'm running past that line at the same pace that I would have started it and it's just pure and utter just like no it's just pure thickness in my head that I'm just like no never ever ever again like am I going to take this for granted no, brilliant. And like again, like thank you for just being so honest and open about the journey that you've been on, Ashlyn, in terms of I suppose the last year, but it's also more than that in terms of reflecting all the way back and to what your kind of your hopes are moving forward. I suppose at a kind of bigger level and big picture, you've been on your journey, but also like like ladies football, camogie, GPA, they've been on a journey of their own in the last couple of years in terms of progression and, and moving forward. So when did you make your debut for at intercounty level? When was the first year you played for Tip? Twenty seventeen against Roscommon. Twenty seventeen. Mm. I suppose I was just curious, kind of from from looking back and kind of how has ladies football advanced in those years for the better since you kind of first came onto the scene in terms of being supported as a team and as a player. What's kind of been the positive changes in that window? I remember I recall sitting in a in a dressing room with Sam and. I actually, I think it was that year I came on board with Little as one of the ambassadors and I remember her, I would always get the slate and the sagging on the team. I don't know what it is, but it's just drawn towards my side anyway. But I remember Sam was sagging me and 
she just turned around to those younger ones who would have been myself, Ashley McCarthy, and just to name her, and Roisin Howard would be another girl who plays Camogie for a tip. I think she was there at the time and she just said to us, she said, she's like, you don't lo- you don't understand how lucky you are. And we were just like young ones. We were like, what? And she was like, you don't understand the era that you're growing up in right now. And obviously Little had just come out with this big massive ad, um, you know, which had probably the whole country talking. And she just said, don't ever take for granted the era that you're growing up in. And I suppose during that time, we probably just got caught up in it because tip was going so well. We went from Division 3 to Division 2 to Division 1. And we'd won an Intermediate All-Ireland, unfortunately got relegated, but got back up again and had bet Mead, Tyrone Mead, Mead on a second occasion. And probably in such a whirlwind that didn't actually realise, actually to the extent that what was going on around us, you know, like to the level of not having food after training, not having shares, um, like even... Even gear, getting gear was just, that was not even a thing. You'd probably get a jersey every three or four years. Um, playing in stadiums as of recent, you know, we'd always, we always would have been training or playing in that back arse pitch of nowhere. Um, or even playing in a pitch, training a pitch and there was cows grazing it and you're just like, what is going on? But I suppose since I've been injured now and since you're kind of at the outside looking in and you're looking at... I was at an under-16A final there. Cork were playing Dublin in my local club and carried there Wednesday night last. And I was just saying, God, they actually don't realise how lucky they are. And I'm actually noticing that now. They don't realise how lucky they are. And I suppose it's it's mainly due to the work of TG Gaher. They've been absolutely amazing and little. And then behind that then, obviously, the association. But behind that all then, the GPA and the work that they've done, they've really kind of drove and they're continuous and to strive for player standards and throughout my journey as well they've been absolutely amazing in helping me out with different things and they're always there you know Gemma's there in the middle of the night at two o'clock in the morning if you need her and I think people think that you know players they're just robotic they're out on the pitch and that's it but actually at the end of the day you know Sean O'Shea who kicks over a wonder point to get them into an all Ireland final actually is a human you know he goes to the game Straight after game, he he meets his mother and father. And I suppose, I think every player would say, but male and female is to have that backup of ex-players and players who know what it's like to be in that environment is absolutely amazing. Um, but it's kind of, I'd say it's nearly almost girls who probably have gone by in in years before that. And it's a pity like them girls who would have won the 10 All-Irelands with Cork with ladies football, you know, that they didn't get the recognition that they deserved. Um but to look at even, I was at the All-Ireland last year at Mead and to see Mead winning the way they did and how we would have bet them probably every year for probably three or four years and then they went on to win it. But mm-hmm. to see the knock-on effect that that would have for other teams around the country and even younger girls within Mead. But I'm that person now who's saying you don't realise what you have because I actually remember that year of growing up where we had nothing. I mean, it sounds like late female sports is is developing and are advancing, like in a good way and a long overdue way. And so there's been lots of there's been lots of wins happening. I suppose like you mentioned the GPA there, and obviously originally it was the WGPA, and and they joined. And like this whole podcast series, the Players Voice series, Ashton, we've been doing is is in collaboration with the, with the Gaelic Players Association, and as part of the BO three sixty program, you know they cover life skills, well-being, 
transitions and dual career. And I was just curious, like you mentioned, they've, they've been able to help you or have been support. In what way have the GPA kind of been able to back you up as an individual, as a player, to help you on your journey off the field or on the field or whatever it may be? Um, I suppose when I'd done my ACL as well, um, the guidance that they would have given me, um, you know, through different procedures and funds and anything that they might have helped me out to cover, I suppose my bill currently for my ACL is 4000 um, mm-hmm. now I will get it back through LGFA fund but anything extra that they won't cover they're there to pick up the pieces and I suppose in other ways I know that well for me anyway through um, different kind of encounters in my life through the use of their services in terms of um, counsellors and um, talking to them for advice and stuff um, for say people that I know and people who are directly involved in the inter-county scene they have been absolutely outstanding and I suppose they've helped me probably in moments where I didn't know where to even take the next road with my friend or whatever and I'll be forever grateful that as I said Gemma was there at the other side at every hour of the night so um, I think it's the services that they offer to players and it goes beyond it wasn't directly related to you know playing inter-county that person but Mm -hmm. um, I'll be forever grateful for what they have done and what they've helped me out with. No, amazing. It's um I suppose it's just coming back to that that aspect again. And you alluded to it at the very start of this conversation of just when you mentioned the All Iron Final on the like recently like appreciating that they're all people underneath it all, you know, with different stuff and whatever has happened, more will happen in different ways and shapes and forms. Um and I suppose kinda at a big picture then, so you kind of talked about the advancements and how lucky they are or you are in terms of ladies football. I suppose someone has clued into yourself, both from a GPA perspective and as a, like at an inter-county level and club level. What's the kind of next big kind of couple of challenges or a couple of big wins that you feel female sports need to achieve now to advance? Like, for example, I know... There was an article recently, the 42 did it about like the expenses being incurred and male players obviously getting some expenses, get their expenses covered, whereas a lot of the female players aren't. What's kind of some of those battles you think are ahead that are the next wave of wins that need to happen in terms of achieving equality or parity, whatever way you kind of want to phrase it? Yeah, it's a very topical conversation at the minute, but just even to start that out, I remember actually talking to someone one day and they were kind of giving out about how... Um, you know, people don't attend. It was ladies football actually in particular. And I was just kind of saying, well, like, you know, I don't go to see a golfer playing because I have no interest in golf. Or, you know, I don't go to see a badminton person play because I have no interest in badminton. So I think an onus is actually on us as ladies footballers in particular and as female inter-county athletes is to carry ourselves in a way that does inspire the next generation. And what I mean by that is, like when Irish women's hockey are in the World Cup, I actually didn't even know anything about them. But now every second look, there's actually a local girl who's on it. I'm I'm so intrigued in them. So I think you have to earn your own right and respect for people to actually respect the whatever you're putting on. So if you look at the All-Irelands now, Mead last year, they had to go out and earn their respect. You know, they probably didn't get half the sport they would have down through the years. Whereas now, I guarantee you at the final, it's just going to be doubled. So... I think there's a lot of there's a lot of onus on us as players is to put on a spectacle and um make it worthwhile to go watch that the skill level is great and that you know it is it is improving and 
as I said to that person, I just I I watch the Irish hockey teams now team now because I know that, you know, they're quite good. So, you know, we kinda need to get away from thinking that, oh, we should be going to matches, but actually we as players need to put on that performance that actually entices people to come watch us. Um but yeah, that recent article actually with the forty two, yeah, it definitely is something that is um becoming more a debatable topic, I suppose. I don't think the funds are there for the I don't I wouldn't even know much in the ins and out, but I don't think the funds are there for um paying um intercounty females like their male counterparts at the minute. Now hopefully in years to come that that will improve, but maybe if it's some sort of contribution, not asking for the full extent, it would go an awful long way, um, in helping out throughout the year. But I I do understand that it's not fully appropriate yet to pay as we don't have the numbers turning over on gates at local club games and stuff but I do I'm lucky in a way I'm only traveling 10 minutes training but I do feel for those girls who are coming from Dublin and are coming from Cork um that are, are out of pocket at the end of the day and it'd be great in some level if you know um the GPA and LGV can work together to come some sort of kind of contribution towards girls um now I know there is a fund there at the minute that um is being is helping us out but I suppose with costs and stuff like that it doesn't cover much at the end of the day really but we are very thankful for what we are getting at the moment because it is drastically helping in the costs um so yeah it's it does it has come a long way but there definitely is a good bit to go yet yeah, I feel like obviously there's definitely an appreciation, as you say, of the advancements and kind of what's improved and what you're getting right now. But it's what even just practically like the two things from the last couple of minutes of our conversation, Ashling, is one, you said about your ACL surgery and it was a 4,000 bill. Just for people listening that aren't sure about how it works, is that something you have to pay up front yourself and then claim back? Have you got to make that payment first or how did that work? Um, yeah, so thankfully I have private health insurance. So I I actually, it's just something that mum and dad <laughs> make me pay, which is great. Because, you know, if you don't have it, you're probably, you have to, you have to get an approval for every step with LGFA. So, which is quite fast, actually. They reply quite fast. Um, I remember years ago, I was waiting quite a while to get an MRI. So that, at that stage then, I just decided I was going to get my own health insurance um so i suppose i think it's 25 euro you pay towards the fund at start of the year and basically as you pay up front everything and you get it back at the end of the year now um the thing that i just find a bit difficult that's completely fair i know you're getting it back now there is a cap of five thousand on that um so say for me my operation a lot of stuff would have been paid through my private health insurance and whatever my health insurance doesn't cover they'll probably help out but um yeah, for me, I suppose four thousand. If they could maybe split the, split that into months, maybe after every three or four months that you get money back or something, because it's it's a lot. It's a lot when um when you're especially with everything gone up at the minute. Um, I think it could be probably just managed a bit better in terms of splitting it into installments more so than one large sum at the end of the month, but. If I go over my 5,000 cap, I don't get covered beyond that. And yeah, so there is little things then like ISO testing isn't covered. Um, that I was kind of caught surprised by that one actually because, you know, you have to get ISO testing before you return to sport. Um, but unfortunately you don't. So that's 400 euro, um, 200 for each test. And so I won't get that back at all. Like So there definitely is a few rocks and niggles that... Hopefully yes. it will be sorted in the future. I suppose like 
I was in touch with Gemma about that and the GPA, just kind of confused as to why that. That's a protocol for return to sport and it's part of Santry's programme as well. Um, but look, hopefully going forward, we can all have discussions about these things and amendments can be made because as a whole, I think we all want to move move forward for the better of everyone and everyone involved. Um, so please God that, you know, conclusions can be made and we can move forward for the better of the association. No, for sure. And like that's why I ultimately asked that question because it's like, you know, you can kind of, just to get a better understanding of the ins and outs. And like, as you learn, you, you don't really learn about this stuff until you're in it, you know? And like, so another player might listen to this who is going through something similar at the minute or something may happen down the line. So just to kind of give a better understanding of that. And then the other thing I did want to just kind of make clear was when you said about, say, girls were coming down from Dublin or from Galway, wherever they are, coming to train. And like, they as of, as of right now, they receive no expenses for covering that. Have I picked that up right? Um, so the team as a whole gets a certain amount of money and then that okay. is divided amongst the amount of players. So last year, I think... Each player got around eight hundred euro each. Um, now that wouldn't cover petrol for the year, like, but mm-hmm. it definitely goes a long way in helping out towards costs. Um, like myself, I was traveling from Dublin last year, coming down to tip midweek. It was only for about six weeks, thank God. But like other girls are doing it all year round. Um, yeah. so you just get they don't. It's kind of to cover everything. It's kind of to cover you know new boots. It's to cover f- extra physio bills. It's to cover um, everything. Like, say, if we if we are physio in training, um, like if we want to see her outside, we have to pay our own money. So we can only see her in training. So that's probably another thing that something very simple that could be solved. Um, yeah. So it seems a bit mad, really, that you'd have a that would be the kind of protocol. But that kind of goes towards covering them extra costs. So and like that. That process, I should have say the 800 euro there, is that just how TIP decide to manage it? Is that like how it's done in other counties or is that kind of like what way you as a, like the county are in Tipperary are working it? No, that's the way the GPA do it. Um, okay. It's given to each female inter-county team and then it's divided amongst the players. Gotcha. Because it was just obviously, as you said, like I was just curious if, if that's what it was, if anyone else, if any other players are listening or if anyone like non-playing is just curious about it. I suppose just as we look to, to finish up, Ash, and I suppose outside of everything we've talked about just what's life like for you on a day-to-day now kind of what what are you up to in terms of of work and in terms of just kind of when you need to get away from all the injuries or training or practice what's kind of life on a day-to-day for you at the minute it's actually like even I was looking at last week it's actually hectic um Every day I'd be not something in terms of rehab or even meeting up with a few of the club girls, doing kicking with them and stuff like that. So, you know, I'm I'm in the gym three mornings a week. I try to get up at six o'clock if I can, which more I just be false hope and promise myself. Um, then in between days, then I'm doing a running session and then meeting up with a few of the girls in the evening time if we've training, meeting up with them. Um, I'm kind of helping out a bit with at the minute with her with our senior team here in care. So any extra time that I have and can give to them girls individually, I try my best to do so. And then outside that, I'm working with a gear company, Gaelic Armour. I'm doing sales with them. So that's kind of my my part-time role at the minute. And I'm going teaching now in August. So I'm trying to enjoy my last of the summer holidays for as long as I can. So um, yeah, look, I'm looking forward to dipping into that as well and seeing what I can do. But... We also own a family farm here as well. So I actually just came down from helping dad there screw a few screws and sew up a few holes. So um, 
yeah, it's it's busy. And my aunt and uncle are home from abroad for the next for the month, so my aunt's staying here at mine, so it's hectic. I don't really have time to time to think, which is good. You said there, and it and it's obviously definitely there's a lot of different stuff going on. In terms of the teaching, are you going to be teaching locally? What are you teaching? Is it like your first time taking on a post, having finished college? Kind of what's your where are you at on that journey? Yeah, I qualified last year, but when I done my ACLN, I took it as a year to go traveling. So I was in Dubai, Greece, um, Portugal. I was in Dubai for a month, actually. That kind of cost the bomb and it kind of emptied the fund. So <laughs> I was actually planning on going to Chicago <laughs> then in July, but that then didn't end up happening. It got too expensive. But um, yeah, no, I took it as a year just to completely concentrate on myself. And thankfully, um, I was working with Gaelic like Armour then. They were very good to me as well. So... Yeah, teaching was my my college degree, so I'm going into now. I'm in a school about an hour away from home, so it's great, and a real country school as well. So I'm looking forward to dipping into that side of things as well. And what's up? What are you teaching? PE and biology. Oh, brilliant! No, that's super. Um, I suppose yeah, just wrapping up, just from 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 my perspective, and just thanks so much for for joining us today, for giving us your time, but also for giving us your your honesty and your insights. I think it's a conversation, Ashton, that's going to benefit an enormous amount of people, whether they've experienced an injury before or whether something happens down the line. Um, I just really respect the kind of the insights and, and honesty that you've shared today. So from my perspective, just thanks so much for joining us on the player's voice and very best of luck on the field and off the field in the coming months and years. And thank you. No problem. And if it was, if I was to give just one piece of advice on ACL, I think I actually wrote to Tommy Conroy when he did his, I don't know Tommy personally at all, but anyone who does their ACL now you've your BDI's looking out for because you feel you know you know what they're going through but if it was a piece of advice I was I was to give it would definitely just admit to yourself that it isn't going to be plain sailing and stop um stop targeting for nine months go off what your what your ability is and what you can do and I think once you admit to yourself that it's not going to be plain sailing mentally in your head it's half the battle because you've no expectations for yourself then so that's just one thing I just want to try and to finish off the ACL the ACL crack no, definitely. And I think that's the perfect, I think it's the perfect note to end on, Ashton. So again, just thank you. No worries. Thanks for having me. The Players Voice podcast is brought to you by the Gaelic Players Association in collaboration with Real Talks. To listen to previous episodes with leading inter-county GA players like Patrick Horgan and Vicky Wall, make sure to subscribe by searching The Players Voice on whichever podcast platform you prefer. And while there, you would really be helping us out if you rated or reviewed the show. My name is Alan O'Mara, and to find out more about my work as a performance and wellbeing consultant, please go to www.realtalks.ie or find me on Twitter or Instagram at AOMTheCat. Don't forget, you can find out more about the GPA's Bio360 program by visiting bio360.gaelicplayers.com. That's B-E-O 360.gaelicplayers.com. Thanks for listening.